0: Hey y'all, I am interrupting the intro music because I'm so excited about this episode. We have today on the Purple Theory Podcast, Richard Johnson uh, joining us. Richard, as you know, is a wonderful college football analyst. He's one of the authors of The Sinful Seven, a weird and delightful book about college football history and it's a western you should go get it central7.com he's also part of the moon crew newsletter which you can subscribe to at mooncrew.substack.com among plenty of other interesting things that are happening so we'll talk about that on the show but we're really excited to have Richard on today we're also really excited about the college football season starting next week because that also means that the purple theory newsletter is really getting off the ground really going in full force Grant tell us a little bit about the purple theory newsletter
1: Purple Theory Newsletter is your one-stop shop for TCU football analytics, analysis and storylines. It might be the only place on the internet you can find all three married together for the horn Frogs. Once the season comes around, we're going to be publishing three times a week. That'll be straight to your email inbox. We'll have analysis, we'll have recaps, we'll have roundtables, podcasts, previews, anything you could possibly want for the horn Frogs. All come into your inbox three times a week and we cannot wait to get started.
0: Absolutely. going to be great. You can sign up for the Purple Theory newsletter at purpletheory.substack.com. Um, other than that, follow us on Twitter and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, our co-host, Grant McGallier. Grant, how are you this evening?
1: I am doing great, Parker. Uh, just another Wednesday in Paradise. How about yourself?
0: Uh, paradise is a weird word for Bay City, but uh, I'm I'm doing I'm doing quite well. Uh, thanks hey, for hey, asking. Hey. Uh, first first week of the semester, you know, trying to keep everything organized. Um, I'm also very excited because uh, we have joining us tonight yet another, and what I might say is a long string of distinguished guests to the Purple Theory Podcast. Uh, Richard Johnson joining us tonight. Uh, Richard, how are you?
2: I'm good, man. It's it's good to be here. It's good to be Like, there's so much uncertainty and so much weirdness this offseason, but like we were kind of talking about off air, like doing this in late August, early September sort of seems normal-ish. So I'm kind of letting myself feel a little bit normal right now by doing it, and it feels pretty good so far.
0: Definitely. Uh, You'll you'll notice there I hesitated for a second because I was going to say Richard Johnson of, and then I didn't know what came uh, after that. So. (laughs) Tell us about what you've been doing this off season, man. Like what's Everybody. going on. So, so S- SB Nation kind of moved on from that about May.
2: Yeah, I uh, yeah, I got furloughed from uh, SB Nation Vox Media uh, in May, and uh, the side, original. Side plan note: was,
0: we we both are, we both left Vox. Damn the van. So yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. The yeah. Uh, the original plan was to go back uh, to Vox August first and do a normal college football season because this country was gonna get its shit together and we were gonna have beaten the pandemic by July and football was gonna happen in the fall uh, as normal. Um, and then here we are. So um, <laughs> uh, through just some you know, some through some personal decision-making and, and some hard decisions and some sleepless nights, I decided to voluntarily leave my job at Vox um, and, and my employment there and, and kind of decided to do the freelance thing. Um, the first thing that I did was uh, write a book with uh, some of the most talented people that I know. Alex Kirshner, Jason Kirk, Spencer Hall, and uh, illustrations and book coding done by Tyson Whiting. It's called The Sinful Seven, sci-fi western legends of the NCAA. Uh, Everybody listening to this should pick it up at sinful7.com. It uh, it explains college football better than anything I've ever worked on or anything that I've really ever done. Um, I am really proud of it. I'm intensely proud of it. And uh, I cannot believe we pulled it off in three months. I would not suggest Anybody write a book in three months. Uh, take a lot longer than that if you get the chance. Um, but now I am officially a free agent. Um, depending on when this comes out, uh, I may or may not have some announcements about what's going to happen this fall. Um, I'm going to be in a lot of places this fall, which is good. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we're, we're still... The ink is still drying on some of the paperwork, and so uh, I'm excited to announce pretty soon um where all I'm going to be this fall
0: that's great um yeah, we' we'll, we'll link that's to awesome. we'll link to sinful seven in the show notes so everybody can has no excuse but to click and 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 buy that and and your Twitter account so people can follow and uh find no uh updates as they as they come out um, You're far too kind i I think the the most pressing question I have for you though is as as a Florida Gators alum. How excited are you that Jamie Newman is not going to be playing? So one, we have to, we have to cut that in half, right? We have to say, okay, <laughs> off-field, yes, yeah. we, we're all human yeah. beings. That's not great. But on-field, as a Florida fan, that seems to be pretty great news.
2: Oh, for me personally, I am all about a University of Georgia football player exercising his right to opt <laughs> out of the season, particularly if he's a starter, particularly if he is a really, really good starter. Um no I like this is insane to me that Georgia has this uh, uh, this luck. I mean it's like you over the last 9 months you have done everything in your power to set the table and create an infrastructure around this guy, Jamie Newman. You fired an offensive coordinator, you got a new offensive coordinator that's going to do the things specifically that Jamie Newman did well at Wake Forest and and would do well in a better system with better play, not better system, but with better players and a better program uh, top to bottom talent wise. And uh, <laughs> just to comp- like, to have the the floor drop out on you as Georgia. I mean, that is literally the most Georgia thing I can think of. Um, but yeah, I like selfishly, like I really wanted to watch him play. Uh, I really wanted to see what he could do in that mm-hmm. system. I really wanted to see what the best defense in college football could do with a not even a functioning offense. I mean, a good I mean the offense was going to be good. I I you know I'm not got on a limb there. I think that offense was going to be good, normally good, top 30 good. And that is, I mean, way more than that team needs with that defense to make a run here. Um, so yeah, it, it is, I think globally for college football, it is sad that Jamie Newman will not be playing. It's sad that Jamar Chase isn't playing, it's sad that the the young man from UCF, the cornerback from UCF, whose name escapes me, decided he's not playing today and opted out. It is sad that all of these players are opting out, but uh, we know why they're doing it. I, I think that if you're a fan of uh, shared humanity, I think you should be in favor of it. Um, and now Florida has an inside track to the SEC. so <clears throat> Pretty nice. It's, it's yeah. Pretty,
0: it's, nice. Uh, Pretty nice. Hard to, hard to, <laughs> I think, I think honestly, Jamie Newman came on my radar because you last fall, tweeted something about how stressful Wake Forest's option was. Oh Where Jamie Newman held the ball for so long.
2: Yeah. Uh, they do yeah. this I, I don't think they were going to do it to Georgia but uh the Claw offense, Dave Clawson's offense, they they do this this mesh point RPA game or RPO R- R- game where they literally like hit at the mesh point, the quarterback and the running back quite literally walk towards the line of scrimmage. I it I actually I was at the combine. Um and that's actually the last work trip that I took before everything kind of went to hell. I was at the combine and I was talking to a Wake Forest linebacker about like what it was like defending that in practice and all that kind of stuff. And he was just like, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty frustrating. It throws off your timing and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it is an interesting uh, schematic wrinkle that they do at Wake Forest. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and Richard, kind of why we're, we're talking on the you know the national stage and about players being able to make choices um, kind of the big story over the weekend, too, and really the past few months has been players using those voices to kind of speak up about racism and racial injustice and police brutality. Um, you know, I was talking with a, a Texas A&M friend of mine this weekend, and he said people on Texas you know, AM had a had a, a, a protest, and they said, well, you know, Sabin would never do that. And then you see Nick Saban leading the march in Alabama over the weekend. Um, and I hate to make you bear the burden of explaining this but I guess why are the voices of these players so important and and what change really are, are they hoping to bring
2: I think it it runs the gamut uh at in Mississippi the Mississippi State and Ole Miss players they wanted to see obviously the state flag change which it is uh it's mm-hmm. it's going on the ballot uh in I believe in November um the new flag designs they were instrumental in that change um mm-hmm. at A&M uh I know that uh Kellen Mond at, at all. They wanted to see the statue of, I believe, Sol Ross is his name, uh mm-hmm. come down, is the the former president of um of Texas A&M. at Texas. The players wanted to stop singing the Eyes of Texas. I know they didn't get that, but I, I know that it's something that was out there. So I think it runs the gamut I think what it is is an audit of these these uh these symbols of oppression or what have you that we are seeing these players say, well, hold on, wait, you know, and and just because you've sung the song for 30 years and just because you've sung the chant, like these guys haven't, they just got to whatever campus it was a year or two years ago. They're just looking around, they're just getting used to, they're just seeing the things that are happening, the things that they may think are wrong and the things that they look around and say, hey, I think we should change that. And, And as we know, not all of these guys are going to the NFL. This is the peak of their influence, of their fame, of what have you. They are not being paid. Uh, And I think that right now, this is the time for many of them to capitalize on notoriety, on fame, uh, on a platform, on what have you. Uh, Because when they do graduate, matriculate, or what have you, through a program and they leave... They might not go to the NFL and they might just go sell insurance, which is fine. It's great life, but right. it doesn't mean you're going to be in front of a hundred thousand people, <laughs> you know, doing small claims. <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's get it done while we can, the, the things that we want to do. And so the, the player protest wave that has really come about uh, in earnest, 2015, 2016, and, and I say in earnest because player protest politics has always been a part of sports. The Black 14 in Wyoming mm-hmm. back in the 1960s were doing this. Uh, you know, the, the African-American players who never got a chance to play in the South because the sport didn't fully integrate until the 70s. Politics has always been in sports. It's always been there. Uh, now they have social media. Now they have a more direct conduit to the fans, to the masses. Um, and, and right now is a time of the most, uh, I think, sustained amount of protest against racial injustice. And systemic racism that we've had in 50, 60 years. And I think that these players as a black man myself, as and, and I know how they feel, you can't help but get swept up in it and think, how can I play a part in it? Because when I have kids in 30 years, those kids are going to grow up and those kids are going to ask me, what is it that you did in the summer of 2020 to hold account to systems of oppression, to hold account of uh, systemic racism. I hope that my, my future children are, are living in a more just world, in a better world. And, but to get there, we have to work to get it there. And part of that work is what these players are doing all across the country uh, with protest, with calling attention uh, to the things that are, are on their hearts and on their minds that are injustice and, and, and systems of uh, racism or what have you on their campus.
1: And and the one follow-up there, and and you mentioned, obviously, this is, like you said, the peak, probably a player influence, but I am curious, too, especially with uh, coaches who are, by and large, only old white guys, um, a lot of them have supported the players, and and, and like I said, Saban, I think, was was leading or in in the front row of of the protest march at Alabama. I don't want to be cynical about this at all, but, but do you get a sense that that the coaches are really buying in and supporting the players, or is just this just sort of lip service? I don't want to be cynical, but I also don't know really what the mood is there.
2: I mean, I think we know college. I mean, look, we know about college football. What we know about college football, um, you know, right. we know that uh, that coaches always recruiting. We know the you know the, mm-hmm. the the aims there. But I I do think there has been a legitimate, honest dialogue and and. I don't want to use the word osmosis, but like, sure. if you think about it, these coaches, not all of them, but these coaches, it, it's, an, it's its almost insane to me to think that they wouldn't at least get some yep. of what it is. If you have a conversation with four or five, six of your players, what the general vibe is, whatever, you know what I mean? it's, we talk mm-hmm. about these uh, these coaches as mostly old white men. As old white men, they are in the extremely unique situation of, particularly head coaches, they interface with 50, 75, 100 black men every single day for their job. Uh, that is something that a lot of white people in this country will never be able to say about their day-to-day. They'll never be able to say, I have a room of 12 linebackers and seven of them are black. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have 50-50 racial parity in, in, in my meeting room uh, or on my Zooms every day now that it's yeah. 2020. Uh, and, and because of that, that is why I think more than anything, they have uh, a responsibility. And it's, to me, I'm like, you should be picking up on what these players think on accident for lack of a better term. Like, right. you know, you should be you should be hearing the conversations they have. You should be listening, You all that kind of stuff. You should be asking. Um, I can't uh-huh. understand the natural curiosity of me. Because and, – and people say, well, oh, you can't expect a football coach to to this or that. I don't need my football coach to be Ta-Nehisi Coates. I think it would be nice. But I don't uh-huh. think my football coach is ever going to be uh, James Baldwin. But I do yeah. think that there's got to be a level of – you know, you, we, we all know what coaches – say about their players we all know how they speak about their players how they talk about them as their sons or whatever they have all they've they've been in their the the parents homes and more than once and they've met the parents and they've said send your kid to me and for four for the best four years of his life for the most impactful four years of his life I will shepherd him through to adulthood and Mm -hmm. that to me is lip service if you are not going to undergird what is happening right now. If you're going to undercut that, if you're not going to support that, if you're not going to hear that out, if you're not going to listen, all that stuff you said to their parents during recruiting, that's all bull. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know there's a lot of lip service paid during recruiting. I know a lot of people say a lot of stuff. But one of the things that parents really buy into is that this man who I'm sending my kid to for four years is going to make him, help him become a better man on the back end. Uh, And unless a coach is really doing the work right now to do that. And in 2020, that means a little bit of a different thing than it did maybe in 2005 or what have you, when that coach was starting his career, you better be serious about it. You better be right about it. You better come correct.
0: And and the big 12 is, uh, is no stranger to some of the. I mean, there's obviously been two pretty glaring. Well, I'll say three pretty glaring issues because one of those glaring issues is Lincoln Riley, um, doing a pretty great job of being out in front of some of this stuff. and Well, out, out in front is maybe not the right word, but being aware and abreast of his players' concerns sure. and needs and how to respond to them. Really, really great. Sure. On, the, on the flip side of that, you have um, Gundy just just taking a preventable loss there, just doing something yeah. dumb. Um, and then Gary Patterson, perhaps uh, a shade of magnitude a little bit further, also taking a very preventable loss. So uh, would you talk to – I mean, I know you and I have talked, and I hate the question talk about, um, but talk to us about – Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy nationally, kind of how, what they've done since, how it feels that they've, they've interacted with those fans, or sorry, with those players. Um, as as, yeah.
2: Well, I was just, As far as nationally, I think that those two coaches, I, I think Gundy more, or uh, excuse me, I should say, uh, I, I guess Gundy less so, um, because of sort of how widespread that story got. Um, Gary yeah. Patterson, I think, will always sort of be able to hide here um, hide so to speak. I, I, like Gary Patterson will always sort of fly under the radar in general, uh, because yeah. it's TCU. Well, yeah, mostly because um, TCU flies under the radar. Yeah, for sure. Right, right. I, I think there's always going to be a little under the radar for him. Um, he's always going to be able to kind of sort of skirt this, um, this sort of thing, or or at least the the general blowback. Um, you know, just don't use the word. I don't yeah. really know what yeah. else more to say. Like yeah. it's, it's just pretty, pretty simple. And like Gary would probably tell you that he knows that to be honest with you. And I don't think I'm giving him credit for being the arbiter of racial injustice because he knows not to use the word. Um, It was a, like Parker said, it's preventable, a preventable loss should not have said it. He shouldn't have said it. Um, As far as Gundy goes, the Gundy situation, that's my thing where it's like, how do you not understand? Yeah how that's going to be portrayed and I mean, Gary, same thing, Gary, how do you not understand? How do you not think that this is what, what it, what happened is going to get out or what have you. And it's going to break and tank it as a, as a football coach, because my thing is like, as a football coach, you try to control the controllables with your team, whether it's, you know you you try to control their image, whether it's you know we wear suits on the plane or you know no hoodies on or no hats on in the building or no uh no earrings or whatever you know we we all know coaches have these silly rules about presentation, some of them do others don't care um and my thing is like you think about your players in that way and you think and 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 consider that with how you set your, your team morale and, and, and your team rules and your organization, you have to consider that for yourself as someone who makes millions of dollars and is the most public front-facing person at your university, bar none. It, mm-hmm. To me, it's unfathomable that you wouldn't take that into account whenever you go fishing and somebody's going to take a picture and put it on Facebook. Like, OAN sends you a free t-shirt, maybe you don't wear it. Like I just out right. like, a
0: sleep shirt, Mike. Like, yeah, yeah. Keep that Maybe one. You keep don't that at home. Uh, yeah, th- just that. That's what's well. so interesting to me because, like, there's also a joke in like TCU Twitter and I guess Baylor Twitter too because you know some of our friends there would, would laugh about being blocked by Gary Patterson. But like Gary Patterson will come into your DMs if you tweet something negative about TCU, and yeah. it's just like that level of awareness. I just, I was like, man, you should apply that uh, elsewhere. And it looks like he has, and he's talked to the players and and all that. So I'm not, I'm not going to pass a judgment on. Uh, how the resolution of that is. But yeah, I totally agree with like the awareness of these guys getting these interactions. I think about uh, Ed Orgeron talking about how he gets to go into people's homes and like meet their aunts and their uncles and their families. And like, this is a huge experience to recruit a kid and they're making him food and everything. That's like a cultural experience that these, not not, not most Americans are going to have in terms of sure. being able to cross these lines. And so these coaches are uniquely positioned to, to really um, do some interesting stuff um, in terms of Uh, awareness and conversation and and learning, listening, understanding and all that. So, um, okay. Transitions are weird. Uh, let's, let's talk about on-field stuff. Is that, is that good for everyone? Transitions suck all the time. Transitions are weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's start our way East and kind of work back this way. Um, Richard, do you have a strong opinion about the ACC? Who's a team to watch over there?
2: Um, okay. So I'm a national college football writer, media personality, which means I have to say North Carolina. In this, uh, Oh, because Sam Howe is the second coming. Yes, In absolutely. this situation, I'm supposed to say Sam Howe uh, and North Carolina. Um, yeah, we like North Carolina. We really like what North Carolina is going to do this year. Uh, uh, checking off the boxes, I think if anybody's going to surprise Clemson, it can be them because they have a really good quarterback. Uh, I think I really like what Jay Bateman does on defense, particularly how that defense swarms around. Um and oh and the offense is high flying in general um (laughs) the offense is high flying in general uh and so that is a thing on the right saturday uh north carolina can really get somebody okay so we've checked off the north carolina box Mm -hmm. uh as far as other teams um i think maybe i should check off the tennessee box even though i like the tennessee thing i i get it but i don't really get it like i'm like i don't my thing is like, is Jeremy Pruitt going to take the shackles off this thing and let them go? Mm-hmm. That's the that's the hugest thing in my mind. I, I I don't know, and that's going to hold that Tennessee team back if he doesn't do that. And the weirdest thing to me about that is Jeremy Pruitt has seen the cradle to the grave of Saban, Manball, the arc towards RPO game, Lane Kiffin stuff. Da 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 da. He he. Literally, watch that get implemented. I, he was as close as anybody else can be. I know he went to Florida State for a little bit, but he was as close as anybody can be to that. Um, so he has seen the arc of that. He has seen that get implemented into a program. He knows that it can work. And yet, anyway, uh, Notre Dame. I honestly, I know we're not to the Midwest already, but I like. I look at Notre Dame and I say, "Oh my God." If Notre Dame won the ACC this year, oh, baby. I would laugh about (laughs) it probably forever. If Notre Dame finds a way to beat Clemson, I think it's in in Clemson. If Notre Dame finds a way to beat Clemson in Death Valley and wins the ACC this year and forever is able to say they are ACC champions in perpetuity, it would be my favorite college football story possibly (laughs) ever. Dude, will they get Georgia? There, okay, Clemson for Notre Dame because I've
0: thought about. This. I was on. I was on an ACC podcast last week, so I've thought about this a little bit. <laughs> they go to Georgia Tech and then have Clemson in Notre Dame in in Indiana. It's South Bend. Oh, it is in South. And Park. then Boston College afterward, and then a break, and then North Carolina. They've got four weeks for nothing but we're just gonna we're gonna gear up and then recover from Clemson. Exactly. I feel like, man, they, they are primed to do that. Exactly. Absolutely. If,
2: if Notre Dame wins the ACC before Miami does, it will be my favorite wow. college football story. Amazing. Amazing.
0: Uh, Miami, though, could potentially be fine. They got Derek King over there, and then Rhett Lashley seemed to be able to throw together a more than competent offense. And so I think, I think they're interesting. They lose a lot on defense, and their offensive line was awful last year, so who knows what happens with that. But Yeah, I think their best defensive end opted out, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Uh, I saw that too. Yeah. So um maybe it was a linebacker, I don't remember, but yes, yeah, they they definitely lost um some some folks. So is uh is would Notre Dame be your pick or, or for the ACC or are you saying Clemson until um Clemson
1: proven otherwise? Until we're there?
2: Clemson's the pick until proven otherwise, but I just think Notre Dame be fun as hell. It would be, be
1: funny. I also I, I know he's decent. I have no faith in Ian Book whatsoever. Like I, I and maybe it's the reverse thing cuz I've seen a bunch of Notre Dame quarterbacks that have a ton of hype and then don't deliver. Smooth so the fact that Ian Book doesn't have that hype means he will deliver, but I, I don't really believe in him
2: to be honest. Parker, what, do, what do the numbers tell us? What, what do the digits say? So Ian Book, I, I I think I I had him in a um.
0: I'm pulling up the QBR real quick because I like ESPN's QBR. Bad gateway.
2: Oh, that's tough. It's
0: oh, so, okay. <laughs> Gods don't want us to have uh, to have the QBR. Um, Ian Book is like consistent. That's in- He's consistent and boring, which is like the worst thing to be for a quarterback because even if you're good, no one cares. Yeah. Um, and so I think that he was like a decently accurate passer. I think I saw a Pro Football Focus thing where it was like he was middle of the pack for downfield accuracy. Um, and I mean, they were shoot in passing SP plus. They were what I mean thirty ninth, and they were they were I don't know. They're not they're not amazing. I think they'll win just kind of in that Notre Dame way of like not turning the ball over and playing good defense. So. We'll see. I mean, they have some hard games. I'm interested. Like, I want to root for Louisville to win the ACC. Like, I want Scott Satterfield and uh, Mikael Cunningham to be the best coach-quarterback duo in the in ACC.
2: That seems so fun to me. Louisville, I like, I love what Louisville can do. I think what they are able to do with just last year with motions out of those condensed formations, that type of stuff, I think they were really, really fun. Um, And they were really, really fun to watch. I think Marshawn Ford as this, like – Swiss army knife guy that you move around and you do this and that and the third with him uh, as a, I guess, allegedly a tight end um, is, is something really, really fun to watch whenever you watch that team. I love watching Louisville play um, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. I, somebody told me uh, last seat or last summer that this is, he's scratch Satterfield scratching the surface of what they can do. Uh, they didn't really have the personnel to do what he really, really wanted to do last year. Uh, and so I'm really interested to see what they can do uh coming up this year
1: well, and, and you mentioned how fun louisville is and and let's swing down south a bit before we kind of ask you for for your teams you know that you think might win the conference. Who's the most fun team in the s e c o- outside obviously of old miss, but that's more for more shenanigans than anything else
2: yeah i like i I mean if Bo Nix is pretty good, I will always be partial to Gus's offense. When it's mm-hmm. cooking the right way, it is really something to watch.
0: Okay, point of um, point of order though, is it gonna be Gus's offense this year or is it gonna be Chad's offense? Because you remember they hired Chad Morris as their offensive coordinator. I'm fascinated from like a logistical standpoint, how that that room works.
2: I yeah, I think it's a good point. Um I, I do wonder how much Gus is going to stay out of the way. Um, I think Chad's calling plays. I don't think Chad would go if he's not calling plays, yeah, to yeah. be fair. Um, so, I think Chad's calling plays. Um, I also, uh, selfishly in the SEC, I would like Arkansas to be good uh, because, A, Felipe Franks is then playing well, but also Sam Pittman's just a lot of fun. Like, I love offensive line coaches that are head coaches, obviously. Um, so, that would just be pretty cool.
1: Uh, I will say, regardless of his record at Arkansas, I do have to point this out. This is a Chad Moores fan podcast. You want to state the title at the ISD I currently work at. So, okay. All right. Yeah. Shout out Bay City, Texas.
0: Um, yeah, but, yeah, I, I did Chad. There was like Chad. a two-week I, uh, period where TCU fans were like, we're going to hire Chad Morris because Chad's son Chandler is like a five-star QB and he visited TCU. So, of course, Chad came with him and everyone was like, Chad Morris is on TCU's campus. And we're like, well, not like that, but he I'm, is.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I I also think uh, – I think Mizzou's probably going to have a bad time this year, but mm. in the back half of that year – I think you may see a little bit of it come together. Uh, the defensive coordinator, who classic name escapes me right now, uh, is a really sharp young cat, a uh, really sharp young black coach. Uh, and Eli Drupquitz is just really, really sharp and kept yeah. him on for a reason. I, so, so, Richard, I had a, I had
0: a, uh, a re- reaction right there because, one, Ryan Walters is the defensive coordinator. Ryan Walters. I'll awesome awesome call him Ryan yeah. Cooper. Um, we, talked to, we talked to Bill a couple weeks ago about Missouri. Uh, Missouri has now TCU's co-offensive coordinator, Curtis Looper, and has uh, their former quarterback, Sean Robinson. So we are, like, fascinated. <laughs> Missouri is, like, this natural experiment. I talked about this on the podcast. I won't do this rant again. But, like, if things go well at Missouri, TCU's going to have to look in the mirror uh, for a long time and be like, yo, yeah. oh, why did that not happen here? So, yeah, um, yeah I think they could potentially be fun. Uh, I-, I think those are – like, I just don't want it. I don't want a to win the SEC, and I don't want Alabama to. Like, I'm just rooting for anyone else. I think Dan Mullen, this is probably the year – where he can, like, be poised to strike because uh, there's no one else in the way in the East, which means, of course, he's going to lose, like, to South Carolina by three Yeah, or I'm yeah.
2: really not looking forward to yeah. it. Like, I Like, I'm really not looking forward to beating Georgia and then losing, like, the next week to somebody dumb. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's not going to thrill me. Uh, hey, okay. Can I ask you a
1: question, Rich, real quick? Is Kyle Trask good?
2: I don't think so. Okay. I think like I I, I I think he's fine. I think you saw last yeah. year that he's fine and I think fine can win. Um yeah. I would I think I'd rather see Emory Jones back there uh because I think Emory Jones is just a higher ceiling football player. I I and I I'll take the higher ceiling uh just personally.
0: Sure. Uh sure. oh my god Richard on November the 7th, Florida goes to – Florida plays at – well, at neutral side or whatever. Florida plays Georgia. On November 14th,
2: Arkansas comes to the Swamp. Yeah. Oh, no, That, that is <laughs> – Sorry, dude. That, that's the dumbest way. That's the dumbest yep. way it could happen. Yeah, I'm not absolutely. saying that's gonna happen. If that happened, I wouldn't be surprised. That is um, without a doubt the that is without a doubt the dumbest way it could happen.
0: Absolutely. Okay, uh let's move. Uh keep keep moving west. We'll keep going. Um okay, I have to ask this question. I'm contractually obligated to every guest we have on here. Is Texas back this year?
2: <laughs> I like I don't know what it's supposed to mean for them to be back. I I can't remember I don't remember what uh I, I wasn't at the meeting. I don't remember what the national media narrative is supposed to be around back, so to speak. Um, so I, I, I missed that Zoom conference uh, for all the national beat writers. Um, but, like, can they beat everybody but Oklahoma? Yes. So if that's back, then that's back. Because that's what I think they'll probably do this year. Uh, I think Sam's great for what they want him to do and what Sam can do. I, I think that's good. I hope he stays healthy uh, because they're going to run him a trillion times. Um, I hope he stays healthy, and I think Texas can beat everybody in the schedule except for Oklahoma. Yeah, it it, it just feels like every year it's Oklahoma's conference to to
0: lose. And, I mean, Spencer Rattler is really good. Like, it's just got to be so nice to have this country of,
2: like – I mean, he's really good, really good. Um, And the other two were really good, too. But somebody on on Twitter, a coach that I really respect, at KP Show on Twitter, uh, he basically said he coached against Rattler uh, when Rattler was in, in high school in California. And he basically said he's a slightly slower Kyler Murray. So I'll take it. That's a great thing to be. Yeah, absolutely. Also, the also Texas uh, Texas's inevitable loss to Kansas State. I forgot about that. Uh, Texas's yeah. inevitable loss to Kansas State will please me. Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Thank you.
1: Um, I feel like every everything- Every Big 12 team has an inevitable loss to Kansas State. Yes. TCU's
0: last gonna year gonna was like literally like <laughs> a blocked punt. That is why TCU lost to Kansas yeah. State. Just so yeah. frustrating. Um, uh, who else? So who else in that? We'll spend a little time here on the Big 12. Who else in the Big 12 uh, non-TCU category, because I'm going to ask you about them, is interesting to you this year? There, there's kind of always this phenomenon in the Big 12 where it's like there's one good team, Oklahoma, and then there is, you know, seven decent teams. So who, who out of that decent
2: group are you interested in? I like so I so with Iowa State, I'm like, Iowa State, I had the same Iowa State question that you had about Kyle Trask. I'm like, is Brock Purdy actually good or what are we doing here? I think we're gonna find out that. Um Kansas Brett Deerman quite literally wrote the book on RPOs, and I cannot wait to see that offense. Excuse me, I cannot wait to see that offense. Uh Hopefully, take off this season. I think that'll be a lot of fun if it happens. Kansas State, I love to watch the way they run the ball. The way they block stuff up is like absolutely bananas. That
0: fake um, pull where the guard goes and then comes back is like my yeah, favorite football play. Yeah, oh my it's, gosh,
2: it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I, it is a lot of fun to watch. Um, for me, that like like Texas Tech and West Virginia are like interchangeable in like could score ninety points or could just not. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think we're all kind of waiting for some sort of proof of concept from both of those coaches, Um, given that we, I think everybody sort of thinks they're both pretty bright young coaches and can take a next step. uh, I I think one of them has to do it. Baylor. Um, So my thing with Dave Aranda is, I think Dave Aranda, late stage LSU Dave Aranda, he was coaching a master's theorem course. In defense to players that, like, I don't even think needed to learn it that high level. It's not that they necessarily couldn't, it's that, like, I don't think you want those players ever playing like slow or those players mm-hmm. ever not firing. Right. And I think that they, I, I think that defense got a little too convoluted for them, uh, last season. I, you know, the, the Ole Miss game is a absolute like that is what happened in that game. Um, and that's why they looked like they had never run a tackling drill ever in that game, never done a run fit drill ever in that game, uh, really struggled. So how does Dave Aranda graft that onto a brand spanking new organization uh, and, and, and pick up where Matt Rule left off? I, I don't know how yeah. that's going to work.
1: Yeah, that, I and, that's something we're – okay. go ahead, Grant. I'm talking a lot. All you, man. No, 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 no. I was going to say uh, – and a lot of these teams are kind of, especially in the Big 12, in a weird window where it's like, okay, this is our year. But it's such a weird year that, like, uh, Aranda, for example, will have, like, okay, Charlie Brewer, who I've been assured is a superstar by our friend uh, uh, Shehan Raja. And, yeah, uh,
2: like, that. you know, a lot we're of really,
1: really good – yeah, right. A lot of good running backs and wide receivers, um, all that. Like, this, this offense is going to be really, really good. Oklahoma State's going to you know, prime for a year. Oklahoma's always rolling. It's Sam Ellinger's senior season. All these teams seem like they're kind of primed for a run at the B-12 title, but do like does this kind of weird half schedule affect that at all?
2: I think this is you're going to talk yourself into everybody, and then Oklahoma's going to win the league.
1: Like, That's fair. So every other year, basically.
0: Yeah, right, so every other league. I, I think you're,
2: you're going to talk yourself into it, and Oklahoma's going to run the league.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just can't, I just can't see, I just can't imagine the, the, how it happens that that isn't the case, which is immensely frustrating as someone who wants to see his team compete nationally and realizes that's not going to happen as long as Lincoln Riley continues to be Lincoln Riley. Right. Yeah, gosh. Um, okay, so let's. Uh, one, I'll, I'll note just because I had some Baylor people on Twitter annoyed me the other day. Baylor's bringing back thirty two percent of their defense, one hundred twenty seventh in the nation. Dave Aranda is awesome and might be as good at, if not better, a defensive mind than Gary Patterson. Year one without an off se- er, season, like he's just not going to come in and post a top twenty defense. Like that's just not happening with all new
2: players no offseason, all that. Yeah, I just, I don't think that's realistic.
0: That's not like a knock on Baylor's program. That's just like, that's not how this works.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Okay, let's get get into TCU a little bit. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to a segment that we like to call Say a Nice Thing About Max Duggan. So, of course, there's context for you. Uh, I stole Grant's joke. That's normally Grant's joke. But Max Duggan uh, has a heart issue. They've said they've operated on it, and he's maybe going to come back this year. That's from his dad, and we know the rule about believing player parents. So, right now, sure. we're operating Max Duggan's out this season. Um, he struggled a lot last year, though, but looked like a development candidate. So, say nice things about Max Duggan.
2: I think that Max Duggan uh, will have an opportunity to shine, uh, to really either uh, either shitter off the pot because there is no Jalen mm-hmm. Rinker to help. Mm-hmm. Um, this buddy – it's your show this year. Um, get it done or don't. Uh, so that's probably about as nice as I can be. Um, TCU in general perplexes me as a program because I just don't get what TCU's identity is as a program. And I'm not yep. sure they've ever, like there, there is a very, there should be, I think I I know what it should be. Um, but they kind of got away from that in the last like 10 years. And I, I, and, and they kind of sort of glommed on to the big 12. We're in the big 12. So we're going to do the big 12 stuff. And I don't know if that's the best way to do it. I think that Iowa state and Baylor under Matt rule showed if you want to be a defensive changeup, you can have success in this league. You know, you can, you can get to, a big 12 championship game. If you're Baylor, you can kick the shit out of Oklahoma on a Saturday night. If you're Baylor, Um, you know, you can Kansas state, you can sniff the playoff. If you're Kansas state in 2014, whatever that that year was uh, with Colin Klein, Um, you know, you can, you can have success in this league, despite the notion of it. And, and you have a brilliant defensive mind running the show. And I'm just like, what is it? Is, is the message like, the message not working anymore. Is Gary too old over the hill? I, I, I know that Gary has struggled to, uh, to pick offensive or excuse me, to develop offensively and, and to pick coaches mm-hmm. who effectively develop offensively, particularly in the wide receiver room. It's been a struggle. Uh, they, so I, my thing with, with TCU is just like, what are you, what do you want to be? Pick something and go for a hundred miles an hour.
1: Yeah, I think a large portion of that came in 2014. I mean, you know, TCU nearly made the playoff and were three points away, arguably, against Baylor from doing so, and then fell in love with Trevon Boykin running the show. And we haven't had a guy that's going to finish top four in the Heisman voting since then. But we keep trying to recreate that offense, and it's just not working. And, and Parker, I know you had a theory that you were kind of wanting to ask about. Uh, with Gary kind of in the twilight of his career, does that affect the program's, you know, creativity, right?
0: Yeah, so can I contextualize that so Grant and I don't get blacklisted for TC media, media for their, <laughs> yes. future history. Right, yeah, please, um, please do. Yeah. Uh, Mark, Mark Cohen, TC's SID, tuned into my Periscope the other day and I was like, oh, okay, all right, I just need to make sure that everything's <laughs> in right. board. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so, so Gary Patterson has a known retirement date. It's not like an exact oh. day, but like everybody kind of knows. Okay. I, I'm not reporting anything. I'm not telling anyone the things that I've heard. We just know, Gary Patterson doesn't want to coach until he's 70. Like, he said that. Sure. Um, How does that kind of hang over a program? Like, you can see looking at a Kansas State, looking at Texas Tech, looking at West Virginia, hiring a young new coach, trying something different, getting these offensive minds in there, kind of modernizing. How does TCU as a program kind of navigate the end of a career here? Like, you look at Bill Snyder territory, and things can go south really, really quickly. What, what, what does it look like for a college football program to kind of end a coach's career well?
2: Yeah, I, I think that – so I, I think the difference here is in longevity. It's not like Gary is – how old is Gary? Gary's like 62? 62, okay. 62, uh, yeah. It's not like Gary's 62 – like it's not like Gary's like less, where he's old and he just got there. Yes. It's like the guy's mm. been here for 25 years. Like he's been here forever. Um, and I think that sort of changes the calculus here. I think that Gary is about the last of a dying breed and that is the lifer. Um, and I don't mean like, I, I don't just mean 25 years at, at a school. I mean like hitting age 65 in the profession. Yeah. I don't know how, uh, mm-hmm. how, how much that's actually going to happen with the next generation of coaches uh, compared to the last generation of coaches. I think that those, the the days of, I I think those days are numbered. I I think that, you you know, you saw with Chris Peterson, like you saw with Urban Meyer. I I know that Urban Meyer had some extenuating circumstances for why he left. But, Mm. like, you see that, like, these guys are just, you're just ground to the damn nub in this job. It is, it sucks. (laughs) It sucks. And, you know, I I don't think Saban is going to hit 70. Um, I don't think these guys really want to do that. Um, so as far as Gary's, like, I think you have the – there's an odd thing where Gary is a legend, except he's not actually a legend. Because besides the Rose Bowl, they've never really won anything, never really done anything. Um, to all you know, of our you listeners, guys, you, I didn't say that. I exactly. Mean it, I, like, I didn't yeah. say
1: it. You guys don't <laughs> have that. to say and it miss
2: you guys don't have to say it i can say it uh you have a rose bowl fiesta bowl besides that what is the cachet that we're really trading off of if the cachet is we blew a lead with the playoff on the line against baylor that's not that sexy um so it's it's i my thing is how do you how does tcu like we talked about identity we talked about How does TCU market itself? TCU's most recent success came with a, for TCU, as far as TCU is concerned, a pretty generational talented quarterback and a very Mm -hmm. unique uh, uh, just blend of talent on that team that made it work. Um, They haven't leaned into the expertise of the head coach and the way that the, the head coach revolutionized football, for lack of a better term, um, they haven't leaned into that. They've tried to chase 2014 and it hasn't really worked over the last five or six years. And the more years we get away from 2014, the more years we get away from 2014. If you catch my drift, Um, the, the players who are coming up right now, don't know shit about the Rose Bowl. They don't know shit about Andy Dalton. I, it, they don't care. They don't know who Trevon Boykin is.
0: Almost knocked over the lamp. Remember? Look, I mean, I'm gonna go sports talk radio, (laughs) but like, yes, exactly. Doug Meacham in multiple interviews has said like Boykin would be doing things I didn't want him to do, and then he would score a touchdown. That's great. Like, but that does not mean that he you're you're great offensive mind. Yes, absolutely. TCU has decided that they are not going to be nationally competitive on the offensive side of the ball because they're going to continue to do this half-ass air raid inside zone run whatever and not maximize talent. So you're like, yes, you're getting Jalen Rager 130 touches. A year, all of those are at or near the line of scrimmage. That that's not how you win football games in twenty twenty. Yeah. Oh, this Richard, this just this speaks to my heart. I'm <laughs> I feel like I'm the 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 lone person in the wilderness yelling like I want TC to win, and you have to have offense to win, and and they're just really struggling there. Um,
1: Grant, well, please please. Well, and, on, and, and on that note, and and this is well, and not even this, but I guess I'm just kind of asking both of you to agree with me here. But in a weird season like this, especially if Duggan doesn't play. And let's be honest; like the offense probably is a to challenge, Oklahoma or number two or three in the Big Twelve, whoever those are. Doesn't this kind of this season kind of give TCU an opportunity to innovate and really any team facing this situation just do something weird? I know that's what we want to see, but but how much innovation can you know coaches and all that just you know achieve this season?
2: Yeah, this this is like this is why like we joked about Kansas State a little bit earlier. Like this is the year Kansas State. Uh, this is the year, I mean, I guess they did it last year. Like this is the year Kansas State beats Oklahoma. The, I, I, right. I mean to say this is the 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 perimeter, the parameters I should say, for Kansas State to beat Oklahoma. It's it's Oklahoma has uh let unfortunately let's say Oklahoma has two starting linebackers and one backup that tests positive for COVID-19. We hope to hell that doesn't happen, but let's say it happens and those players weren't in install, and they're not able to play in the game. And, the, and then Oklahoma comes short-staffed to a game against Kansas State. Kansas State drags them down in the mud, and they win the game 24-17. to 17. Like, that is – like, this year is set up for that to happen to every. I mean, everybody. I know Ohio State's not playing, but if they were, this is the year Iowa beats Ohio State again because it's just weird, you know what I mean? Um, so you can do that, you can lean into that, um, and perhaps, if you were an enterprising college football program. Definitely. Um, I've been advocating that they
0: run the triple, but that's not gonna happen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, Richard, we, we've had you for so long, and don't, don't wanna take up too much of your time. We have a couple questions on Twitter, so just uh, more or less rapid fire. I wanna throw them, I'll get Grant's answer too, because I think that's fun. So um, our, our our friend Yael MK asks, um, of these these four college quarterbacks right now, who's going to be the most fun in the NFL? Not necessarily the best, greatest career, but in terms of kind of that Mahomesian, I'm lighting things up, things are different, people have to notice me. Uh, out of these four, who would you say is going to be that person? Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence,
2: and Justin Fields. Who are you picking out of those four? The, I mean, the most fun is definitely Justin Fields, just because of what he can do with the yeah. legs. I mean, it's going to be incredible. I, I also think Justin Herbert... What Justin Herbert could potentially do with his legs should also not be slept on. If Tyrod Taylor gets hurt, uh, I think that Justin Herbert potentially could do some of the things that he did in the Rose Bowl and in the, big tw- uh, they, excuse me, the Pac-12 championship game, uh, that game against uh, Utah, when they played really well against Utah and, and Mario finally let him run around a little bit. Um, that is something that I think just, they kind of kept under wraps, probably to keep him healthy or what have you. But Justin Herbert has that in the toolbox. Definitely. Grant, who are you picking? Mm -hmm.
1: I agree with you. and I don't want to discount the internet's favorite Son of Burrow, but I also think Trevor Lawrence is gonna make like five throws a season in the NFL where we're like, holy shit, that was you mean
2: future Uh, Jacksonville Jaguar, Trevor Lawrence. (laughs) Well
1: in that case he'll he's got the long hair, he'll fit right in in Jacksonville. He can probably play lead singer in a Leonard Skinner tribute band. My
0: man. I can't believe you'd come on my podcast and slander Gardner Minshew like that, Richard. I, lo- uh, <laughs> look,
2: I love Gardner Minshew to death, but if they're picking Trevor Lawrence, it's because my guy did not get it done.
0: Yep, yep. Um, okay, uh, uh, Steven Stoll Steven asks, um, I- I'm going to amend his question, so let me frame this. Um, TCU runs a very unique defense in the 4-2-5, and kind of everyone ran the 4-3, and now everyone's kind of running the tight front, and so no one really did what Gary Patterson did. They, they did in different ways. But uh, the league is made for the league. The college league is made for offense now. So how would defenses respond? And so my, I think the question I'm asking you is, if you were starting a program
2: tomorrow, what would be your defensive base, Richard? Uh, oh, baby. That's a great question. Um, I, I, If I was to uh, do a college program tomorrow, I think I'd probably I – you're probably not allowed to say this. Scheme Twitter is going to be bothered about this because it's – technically a sub package but if i had to my favorite schematic uh setup is the two four five stuff that wisconsin does that uh that washington does as well um i think that's technically not a base you're not allowed to say that it's probably more like a three four but i like the two four five. I like having two big guys inside that can figure it out and then we have as much speed and then i can walk guys in the line i can simulate pressures uh i can do a lot of different stuff uh, to confuse up front uh, with that front,
0: definitely. TC, TCU in effect played a two four five last year, but that was just because their line, their defensive ends were laying on the field, letting things bad. out of them.
2: I like. I'm also <laughs> not allowed to say this, but everything is nickel, so everything yeah, is nickel. Yeah, Ni- yeah. Nickel's not a sub package. Yeah, nickel yeah.
1: Like I, 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 know this might be a bad take. The four two five is just a nickel. It is. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, like it's just a nickel package. That's all it is.
0: Um, okay, other other questions. Uh okay, so th- this is a really good one. Uh you know, like how has so so Richard, you you've been affiliated with uh Stephen Godfrey, who knows a lot about bagmen, So we're just hoping that some of this knowledge is like seeped off on you. <laughs> In your opinion, coronavirus, what happened to the bagmen and coronavirus and all of these shutdowns and this weird offseason and and football not happening and then happening and then not happening and happening back and forth? The world of Bagman, what's been going on there? Uh well I will say um Can you, you tell us what a bagman talk- is for someone who may not know, sorry, Yes, a bagman
2: is the person who delivers the hundred dollar handshake, so to speak, to a player, be it in a parking lot or what have you. Um the, the coach will generally have plausible deniability about who this person is. This person will also fly under the radar. If you are a bagman, you are not supposed to call attention to yourself as a bagman. You are supposed to run under the radar and do your business to make kind of the sausage work. It is something of a tank of a thankless job. Uh, but you are uh, more behind the program 's success than uh than people realize uh, as far as the bagman network goes um, I can deliver cash and gloves personally um socially distance I can do it socially distance delivery uh, of the cash. I will say for the bagman though, what is the bagman 's business right now because that determines you know how fluid the bagman yeah. is right now um, you know i do we we j- all joke that. If oil is down, the Texas A M Bagman network is hurting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wonder what it's like right now for our oil friends in um in Texas and, and Louisiana, et cetera. Uh, you know, I, I wonder what the business is a booming right now, uh for the Bagman. Who's 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 raking in the cash right now to be giving it to the athletes?
0: Yeah, that that definitely uh Definitely makes a makes a difference because um, as much as we like to believe it's Buddy Garrity with a car dealership, it's largely T boon Pickens right. with millions and millions of dollars of, of
1: oil. Uh, Wasn't yeah. there a, there was a there was a tweet on um, I think it was A and N Twitter that was like, "Oh, sorry haters, like oil is up to thirty dollars a barrel now. Like hell yeah, like we can afford to buy <laughs> out." Uh, I, I, I guess it was uh, Kevin someone at the time. It's like okay, well that's that's an interesting way to brag.
2: Yeah, the, the joke is about if Jimbo tanks this year, can they afford it because of the price of oil?
1: Right, right. And probably not. I mean, that contract is unbelievable. But, yeah.
2: uh, I'm going to read one
0: headline right now that I can't explain how I got here today, but NBC Sports Radio hosts could see Gary Patterson leaving TCU for Texas A&M in 2017.
2: I was like, do you, I, you, <laughs> yeah. look. you guys know the guy better than I do. Do you think Gary Patterson is going to coach for any other team
0: Dude, he no. listened
2: to Tennessee the same year that, like, uh, like, really close to when Gundy
0: flirted with Tennessee to get a new contract. Gary Patterson like went to dinner with, I, I, it wasn't Fulmer at the time, whoever their AD was, and he was just like, "Well, yeah, if they offer me like forty million dollars, I'm gonna go. Like, I'm gonna go. Obviously, I'm gonna listen, but no, there's no way. No one else would tolerate his um, unique personality. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, uh, Richard. Last one. Micah Allen from. Cowboys ride for free
2: asks: Should I establish the run? Your thoughts? Of course, always. Absolutely. Particularly in this year with so much uncertainty, uh, what is the thing that we can count on? Look, when you throw the ball, two of the things that can happen when you throw the ball are bad. So run the ball, That's establish true. the run, and, always and establish Oklahoma. The
1: run. And Oklahoma State has the best player in the Big Twelve, Cuba Hubbard, at running back.
2: Exactly, run this the is, rock, tote the rock. This is bullying at this point, Grant.
0: Uh, that's great. Richard, thank you so much for coming, man. This is so much fun. Um, we, we really enjoyed it. Um, people can find you at Twitter, at RJWrites, correct?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm RJ underscore writes. Um, I'm going to be in hopefully way too many places to name for now. So that is the home for, that is the hub, that is the home for everything that will be coming uh, really soon. Awesome, man. Well, uh, best, of, best of luck this season and uh, be, be safe out there. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.